Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Ooh, the pause to tease my name. Dramatic effect in case there was another there Kevin. Was that a different had, Kevin who that has replaced you. Yeah. What's up? How's the life living? It's good. We're back. We're rolling. Uh, my fantasy team, I'm playing the person who uh, I took josh giddy from in the draft who is very mad at me so mm. we're already there with drama but wow <laughs> i can't do fantasy basketball too much of a commitment it is it's... i tried like six seven years ago and i just would forget two days and then i was like then i just lost interest in you know interest in basketball for you it is a lot fantasy basketball and whatever yeah it's too much like on your phone like there was once I was in public, like walking with my wife and cussing that I couldn't get Carl Anthony Towns out of my lineup soon enough because, like, obviously I'm paying attention. You like, convince yourself that you can set your whole lineup for the week, but then no. one or two guys get hurt, and it's this whole thing. That's just oh, this guy's hurt, which means your guy's starting now, which means you should probably start. Uh, it's again fantasy football. I have to do three minutes of work a week. Do you know? So it's quick great. fantasy basketball question. Do you know who the starting power forward is for the Grizzlies? Without how, Jaron Jackson? How dare you? Santi Aldama? Okay. Yeah. You kidding me? Yeah. The guy who wreaked havoc on the Suns last year? You think I would he, forget that? He made a brief appearance on my fantasy team already. Good good for him. Yeah. Speaking of fantasies, <laughs> I thought I was in an, an episode of Community. Shout out to people. Have you seen Community? I didn't watch all of it, but yeah. Did you see Remedial Chaos Theory? That's the episode where they're in a bunch of different timelines and stuff. Yeah. I thought that was happening before my very eyes because it was the same court. It was the same building. The Dallas Mavericks were in the same jerseys. Luckily, the Suns were not in their Valley jerseys because those don't exist anymore. Or else I would have convinced myself that I was like, okay, this isn't the worst timeline, but it's one of the timelines and we're (laughs) we're kind of here. That first half of basketball, we'll, we'll go through, by the way, we'll go through the first three games, kind of look ahead to the next three that are coming, trends, developments, as always. If you're new to the podcast, this is kind of the week-by-week tradition. Back in the day when the Suns would win 20 games a year, we had to get kind of clever. And now it's like, It'd no, just be the, draft talk right now. Yeah, we'd be talking about Zion Williamson or, uh, or Wem, Wembenyamo 20, and uh, yeah. Scoot and all those guys. But we don't have to do that, thankfully. So let's just talk about the basketball. I was talking about the Dallas Mavericks season opener. First half was terrible for the Suns. They were, it just looked like, I I didn't wind up keeping this in the recap, but it just looked like this was actually the worst case scenario for this, for the home opener. I was like, oh man, like the exercising your demons thing, this is just too much for them to handle right now because they just looked like the same, either pressing way too hard or just floating in la-la land lost while being pissed off at the same time kind of team. And then the second half starts, and the point that I made to someone there is that when you're the team that gets blitzed in the first half, it's actually worse to be the team that gets blitzed in the second half. You know, the team that's asleep in the first half wakes up in the second half, especially at home. That's really tough to, like, counterbalance and, like, kind of self-stabilize yourself. The Mavericks couldn't do it. 
Suns came out with just incredible defensive pressure, all this kind of stuff that led to their offense, and then Devin Booker and DeAndre got going in the fourth quarter. It was Book's best game of the year so far, and that's saying something. We'll get to him in a bit. Uh, that that was to see. Do you want to go game by game? Because all three of these games were rather eventful. I think the third one was not as eventful. Do you want to go game by game? Yeah, let's okay. do it. Uh, yeah, Devin Booker did the MVP thing in, in the fourth quarter of that game with DeAndre Ayton. He had six of his nine assists in the fourth quarter. No turnovers. I think he scored... I don't think he scored that many points in the quarter, if, if I'm being honest. I think it might have been 10 or 12 or something like that. But Luka Doncic on the other side, uh, the Suns, it seemed like they just sort of finally figured out how to defend Luka. And we'll see in the coming matchups how much that like lines up essentially, but he was four of 13 in the second half, three assists, three turnovers. And basically what the defense was doing from my first look, I'll, I, w- I want to watch it back before they play Dallas again was D- Luca, you're going to be able to make the pass, but we're going to make that next guy make the important pass that actually breaks us. And it was guys like Josh green, dribble penetrating <laughs> and being like, Oh no, what do I do? <laughs> and that, that's exactly what you, uh, what you wanted. Uh, takeaways from that game again like we're, we're talking game by game so like stuff like the bench and how it looked we'll get to that later but yeah what'd you think uh i think just from a it does matter standpoint it did matter that they went from looking like the end of last season honestly like like we talked about all but maybe a game where they just like you said floating they didn't look like themselves, and then they snapped back into, oh, they remembered how to play physical defense to get under people's skin to push them off their spots. And and that's why I think the postseason run as a whole was so befuddling, was it's like that stuff and being in the wrong spots is even different than that. But to me, it was just a physicality thing on defense, and that's how they got back. And I think just being like, okay, this team... Whatever you think about their ceiling, they didn't just forget how to play physical, strong defense. Like, they, for some reason, we're just not doing it, I guess. Um, that was honestly the biggest takeaway, and I know that's not, like, schematic or anything. Like, Luca and Christian Wood had a crazy thing, and that team is shooting lights out from three, and they've done it to all their teams since then. I think they've played three games. Um, but... To me, it was just about the Suns kind of being like, no, that's not us. Um, and, and even in the Portland loss, which we'll get to, uh, there weren't like those really befuddling series of defenses, like performances where it's just like, I don't understand why this team is so bad. Monty described it in a way where I've never heard him before. He was like, guys were just making the wrong, going to the wrong spot in the wrong rotation. It was like, this guy's supposed to rotate there, but the other guy was doing it. It was that kind of defensive mistakes that you hear about for bad teams, bad teams that are super young and inexperienced. It seemed like they were making those mistakes for whatever reason. Uh, A big theme from these three games was the Suns defense in general. I think that they have been a better defensive team than an offensive team. I did not expect that to be the case at all. But defensively, they look really, really good at the start of the year. This isn't anything new for Dallas with everything we talked about last postseason, but they held them to 17 assists. Portland had 14, and then the Clippers had only 16, and a few of those kind of came late when the game was already out of hand. Clippers only had six in the first half of that game. I I would assume that the Suns are either leading the team in opposing assists per game or or right around the top, And, and that's a big part of what their defense has been doing. And in these three games, and I'm really interested to see 
where it kind of develops from there and how they keep this up because the defensive pressure and the rotations you talked about, if you want to talk about bounce back and all that kind of stuff, Christian Wood scores Dallas's next 16 points. It wasn't a 16-0 run, but he was Dallas's only offense for six minutes between the late third quarter and the early fourth quarter, and then the Suns were down 15 again after the starters had kind of cut it down to four. And then you're kind of looking around and wondering, like, oh, man, like, are they... Okay, that, that was, was it. it. Yeah. Good fight, all that kind of stuff. And then Booker and Aiton kind of took over. The defense really honed in on Luka. Damian Lee hits a crazy shot. He was awesome in the fourth quarter, had all 11 of his points. The reason he was in there is because Cam Johnson cramped up. Lee hit a three here, a three there. I know that a lot of people were looking at him and looking down on him as a guy who is... Back third of the roster, not really going to be that impactful. But I think the thing that you and I talked about a couple episodes ago is that some of these guys, in particular him, if you put them out there with three or four of the starters, they're going to be fine. They are not going to be liabilities on the floor. I think Biz really proved that last year as a, hey, he might not play some nights, but if you have to start him on some nights, he's going to be fine. He's not going to be a liability out there. Yes, there are going to be certain plays where... For Lee, he dribbles into nothing or he's a step late on a pass or something like that. But he's been really good to start the year um, as a reserve. And then in that game, it was just he was making every right play defensively. He took a charge on Luka. He did a bunch of stuff. And then with the game on the line, Booker got doubled once, threw it to Lee. Lee threw it immediately back to him. That's a little subtle Damian Lee thing I'm noticing yeah. is that playing with Steph and Clay, he's like, really good player. Here's the ball again. <laughs> like, yeah. You pass it to me? No, just here you go. There's 12 seconds left like this. I shouldn't have this in this situation. Booker got doubled again. He gave it back to Lee, and then that was a point where Lee had to go make a play. Dribbled kind of into nothing and then just had to stall his momentum and then fade away from the basket, hit the shot somehow. Uh, and it was it was great for him and something that you wrote about is the number one takeaway from this game for some, I think, certainly. And for me, it would probably be the way Booker and Aiton look just because of Chris and what yeah. we're going to talk about with him. But right after that should just be, hey... Chris Paul did not close this game. Campaign did, which had not been something that we had seen before. We had seen versions of it, versions of it, where Campaign was in there until like 90 seconds left, two minutes left, because he was just rolling. And Chris said it himself to Dwayne Rankin was like, Cam's in there. I'm telling Monty, like, keep him in there. He's rolling. And then with the amount of momentum that they had going and with Chris's ineffectiveness, particularly defensively, if we're being honest. Cam stayed in there, campaign stayed in there, and what that does for Monty and game one of the year and a huge comeback and a huge season opening win that had a lot more to it than the Suns were willing to admit. And Monty said after the game, I believe it was him, it might have been someone else, but I believe it was yeah. him, was like, like, look, like this 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 meant a lot to us to, to get this win us, yeah. against them. And for campaign to stick in that game and for Damian Lee to stick in that game and have the trust of his teammates to have the trust of the face of the franchise passing you the ball twice, twice. and be like, no, go make a play. Uh, th- that's a huge deal. And again, reason number 3,472 why Monty Williams is a good head coach. Yeah, and the Damian Lee point I think is important because just how he spoke afterwards, he's, to your point, self-aware. And he was just like, yeah, he didn't even say Devin Booker's Devin Booker. He said Devin Booker was rolling. Like he was doing every pick and roll, finding DEA, scoring himself. And he's like, Yeah, that's why I passed it back to him. But then once it's under seven seconds, it's just like his experience showed when he's like, Okay, I, I guess I have to take it now. And a little more important too is um of guys who honestly like Damian Lee can get a shot off now. Most of the time, if you just gave him the ball with seven seconds left, I don't know if anything will be a good shot. He's not like that 
great of a one-on-one player, all that kind of thing. But he has enough shake. He has enough handle. He has just enough of a touch on his jumper where, yeah, like in that situation, anyone else on that court, do I feel good about them getting their own shot on an island? I don't even know if campaign falls into that because he's more of a, he needs to get to the rim type of guy or an open three or a step back three or something. So I think he just has a little diversity where that's important um, for closing lineups. Obviously um, it depends on if Chris Paul's rolling and who else is available, but I think that's an important point um, to end that game. And yeah, it's just an experience thing with him. John Drayton was really great in that game, and it carried over to the second game in Portland, where he was awesome again. Aiton had twenty-eight, or sorry, twenty-six and six uh, in thirty-eight minutes against Portland. In that Dallas game, he's the only reason he he to dink uh, to knock him down a notch at all is because he was in foul trouble. He played, I think, twenty-three of the twenty-four minutes in the second half and he finished with 18 points and 10 rebounds but again you look at some 18 and 10 DeAndre nights with 8 of 11 shooting you just kind of shake your head or whatever but that that was a monumental effort from him Booker figured out the traps DeAndre was making the right decisions and making the right shots and in the short roll the Portland game he was 12 of 22 and it was like oh, we're getting second primary option is DeAndre Ayton this season, which we'll talk about the Clippers game in a second, but I don't know if we're exactly going that far. But the 12 of 22 was a really interesting game to me. We'll get to to Book, we'll get to Cam Johnson and his thing again, and we'll, we'll get to the bench, but... DeAndre was really interesting in that game. It was a loss, by the way, 113-111. Uh, we can break down the semantics of the game in a second. But DeAndre, the 12 of 22 is really interesting to talk about because it it brought me to this point where in crunch time, they were going to him in that short roll and a, a bad pass to the corner here, indecisiveness there, missing the floater, missing the hook shot that almost always goes in. It reminded you, it reminded me at least of how automatic Chris Paul and Devin Booker always are in those situations and just how you are going to see some drop off in those scenarios. Again, he was really good. He misses the free throws, whatever. I I don't care at all that he misses the free throws and Dame whispers to him. Of course, Dame is going to (laughs) whisper to him. Dame and anyone else is going to whisper to him in that situation. LeBron probably would have whispered to him and like he did with Gilbert Arenas, like the whole that whole kind of thing. But I, I thought it was really interesting how he kind of developed into the primary option, just the level of activity that he had. It faded towards the end of the game just a smidge, but I, I still thought that he was pretty excellent. And Booker had 33 points on 11 of 23. But Kevin, the reason they lost this game is because they didn't have enough offense. They did yeah. not score 30 points in a quarter. I, I use that as my barometer of their doing the offense. Well, Monty mentioned it. Monty always mentions it as a defense thing where it's like we allowed three 30-point quarters. That's unacceptable, and I use it the other way to (laughs) both ways, really. But it's a good barometer of if an offense is rolling, they're going to put up 30 in a quarter. They scored 32 points in the fourth quarter in overtime combined. The highest scorer after Booker's 33. Aiton's 26 was Mikel Bridges' 13, and that was like a 13 where he was he had a good game, 13.7 rebounds, 6 assists, and a steal, but he wasn't really impactful by any means. And then the only other guy in single digits was Chris Paul, who was tentative with the ball and and not indecisive necessarily, but certainly passive. And they are going to run into games this year where they need either what they got in the Clippers game, which we'll talk about in a minute, with everyone contributing, or they are going to need more of a consistent secondary scoring presence outside of Booker. So is that going to be DeAndre Ayton? Probably. Is it going to be more of Cam Johnson or Mikel Bridges? It hasn't been through three games. We... 
talked about we're going to see them bring the ball up more. We're going to see them on the ball. Nope. It's mostly been Devin Booker, actually. So, and that was one of those games where you you missed Landry Shamit again. He missed the first two games played against the Clippers. Campaign wasn't that great. Um, the Koji got in there. Landale got in there. Landale's been good to start the year, but that was the game where you're like the Jay Crowder trade, like offense, like it has to be someone for for offense. I think Monty, and this is even all three games, he's kind of been scuffling trying to find the lineups off the bench and manage that and I think the first game he even admitted it was so bad on his part um he was just like flinging guys out there and seeing what happens and obviously uh he figured it out late with the the lineup that went down the stretch in the final six minutes but yeah in, in that one and in every game even campaign if you think he's played well he's not playing enough and not playing well enough to play more um, has he even hit 20 minutes in the first couple games? I'm not sure. You look at Torrey Craig's numbers. Um, he played great in the third game, but that was because Cam Johnson got into foul trouble, blah, blah, blah. So when you put in Jay Crowder's gone, Cam Johnson's missed time because of foul trouble and injuries in all these games. Uh, DA's even had foul trouble. And no one's really popped on offense off the bench. And like you said, Mikel has not popped on offense. Um, So that void that we keep talking about and hammering on, and I didn't even mention Chris Paul's not being aggressive, it's there. And even if it's book and DA, there's a massive drop-off right now. And I don't know where it's going to come from. This isn't the team where you say you need a Jordan Clarkson type microwave guy off the bench, but they're going to go through games where 111 in overtime is not enough. And even if you say their defense was good and I thought it was solid, I don't know if it was great. um, This team is going to lose games like that. It is uh, that this specific game was just one that they let slip away. They had a five point lead with two minutes left in overtime. They they should win this game ninety five times out of a hundred. DeAndre Ayton has a huge steal on Damian Lillard with thirty seconds left in regulation. Booker gets, uh, I believe, what essentially what happened was. Portland took a timeout before their possession to kind of look at two for one possibilities, which is what Lillard took, but that allowed Monty to have time to like drop a play, a defense, and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Lillard gets stripped at the rim, and then my thought was, okay, here comes the great ATO. And then Booker just dribbled the ball out, took a sidestep three from the right wing that didn't go in. I always have the mentality of it. if he's the guy taking the shot, it's always a good shot, but he needed to attack the defense just a bit more. They go to overtime, they have a five point lead, kind of slips away. Free throw disparity, huge deal. Yeah. 31 of 36 from the line for Portland. I I don't even care as much about the fact that the Suns aren't taking as many free throws because I think something you and I have the same conversation with the free throw disparity every time. It's not even about the fact, look, the Suns as designed just aren't going to take a lot of free throws. Here's here's the, un- the uncomfortable truth of the matter is that Devin Booker is the only guy that can take free throws. And if you look up and down the roster, there's no one else there. Mikel Bridges is not having the ball enough and is not aggressive enough around the basket. Ditto with Cam Johnson. DeAndre Ayton does not generate free throws. Chris Paul does not go to the rim. He does not shoot <laughs> at the rim. Those are their main offensive players. And look, campaign is a guy. And that's where we talked about Bogdanovich, where I was like, he would be their second leading free throw guy, even if he came off the bench, he would take yeah. the second most free throw. So they're always going to be a team that doesn't take a lot of free throws. Even if books numbers go back up this year, which we'll talk about in a bit, 
It, it's always going to be a thing. It's about them not allowing free throws, and Portland just got in this aggressive mentality of getting to the rim. There were two or three dumb fouls that they had in the first half of the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden Portland was in the bonus with six minutes left, and then in overtime, the same thing. They're just getting to the line. Dame was 12 of 12. Nurkic was 8 of 9. Four free throw attempts for all of their starters. Grant, Hart, Simons, that's the type of thing that they just can't do on this team. They had... No one had more than uh, three free throw attempts on the Suns except Booker, and he was eight of nine. So that's just always going to be a problem for them, but it's going to be more about defensively uh, what they can do. You want to move on to last night's game? Yeah. This one's more clear cut. Suns looked really great. 112.95. They had another really strong first quarter like they did in Portland, but they were able to sustain it. Clippers on the second game of a back-to-back were just sleepy. Especially in the second quarter, some of their defensive rotations were just bad. And then offensively, it was their iso ball taking mesh shots, and they were even worse because of how great the Suns were playing defensively. All the Suns really needed was just little contributions here and there because Booker had 14 of his 35 in the first quarter. He was really great scoring the ball, and they got a lot in in different areas. Jock Landale had an awesome second quarter. Landry Shamit returns in this game, and the... Rotation for Monty has been when Chris Paul comes out of the game, that's when Cam Johnson comes out of the game, too, or just maybe a minute after that. And then when Chris comes back into the game at the start of the second quarter, that's when Cam Johnson comes back in as well. So then you've got Paul, Shamit, Lee, Johnson, and Landale. Now, we talk about that on ball, ball handlers do the dribbling. Leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of scoring on the ball, but Landale, Landale showed... And- through his play, what the um, like what the formula is for that group, basically, which is we have a lot of space already because of the shooting that you just mentioned. Johnson and Shaman on the floor at the same time. Those guys are going to get open threes in that look anyway, but if they're not, that means there's space elsewhere. Lee has always been an average to above-average three-point shooter in the league as well. Chris Paul, fantastic catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Doesn't take as many of them as he should. He had eight in this game that he attempted. He only made one. He probably should have taken at least a dozen, but we'll get to that. Landale, though, against a small ball lineup, was just sprinting up and down the floor, getting the ball inside, and there were a couple of times in the first quarter of his shift, in the first quarter, where they were forcing the ball to him, and it goes back to the JaVale thing from last year. It goes back to two years ago with Frank and Dario. They are going to force the ball to that big because it helps the big in their mindset, and that's what Monty wants. Book, who is the star of the show, is the first guy who always, like, when the ball screen and he sees a switch, the first thing he does is look at where the big is and see where they are. And if Jock's going to fight for position, he is going to try and get him the ball. Mixed results in the first quarter. It worked immensely in the second quarter. All of a sudden, the Clippers' defense collapses a bit more. That's where Lee Shaman and Johnson and Paul are attacking the basket a little bit more. And again, it's not rocket science. Take a dribble or two, make the right decision, make the right pass, and it's going to work. How early on was the Landale fake dribble handoff, like, yeah. right wing he was above Finger the three-point line and Finger then he took roll. one like one dribble gets all the way to the rim and then like they weren't defending it and then suddenly from there it's oh crap that guy can do that okay and so yeah i mean he was playing out of his mind even as going back to the dallas game landale switching on luca like was in front of luca on drives and i know luca's not the fastest dude but he was contesting and Luca makes tough shots against anyone. So I think that was the most promising thing from Jock Landale was not only just running the offense, but 
that defense being able to switch and survive at least. And so I, is he probably, if we rank bench dudes, the top most interesting one right now who's produced the most? I would say, yeah. The most consistent through three games has been him. Yeah. Lee's right alongside him, but he's he's up there. Yeah. And that's with Landale not hitting threes. And I think in that game, I sort of realized he doesn't even need to shoot threes. Just treat him as a diver. It's okay. He, he should pop when he's doing two-man game with Take campaign. Take one or two a game. Pop with campaign, dive with everyone else. I think that yeah. should kind of be the mindset uh, with him going forward. I think they're kind of figuring that out uh, as, as they go. It was Monty, after all, who said it today when they watched him in San Antonio and stuff. Just thought he was kind of a shooter. And then they saw him in pre-training camp stuff. The being super physical around the rim, sprinting up and down, showing the touch on the hook. And they figured out they were onto something with that. He goes plus 14 in those nine minutes. Clippers come out in the second half, start the game with Kawhi. They're like, all right, we'll start Kawhi now. We'll start trying, whatever. And the Suns are like, no, you're not just going to be able to turn it on in the second half and try. And they endured it. And then the Clippers were like, okay, fine. Yeah. Wait, the game's over, whatever. And then the Suns kind of cruised, 112.95. Tory Craig, 25 minutes. You highlighted that on last episode. That's a matchup he always does well with. He was great. Cam Johnson has a fall uh, on a charge. I think he took a charge. There was some sort of contact thing where he bruised his tailbone, didn't come back in the Portland game. So two straight games he didn't close. He closed this one, but he only played 23 minutes because he was in foul trouble uh, in both halves. So Tory tax stuff he shouldn't get, but that's a learning. I think that that'll you're a starter now. Yeah, Yeah, you can't. Torrey Craig, 25 minutes, 9 rebounds, 3 of them on the offensive glass, 8 points, 9 points for Landale, 10 for Campaign, who didn't have a couple shots go down, but I thought he was much better in that game. And then Landry Shamit, 2 of 5 from 3. He took 5 threes in 13 minutes. Great. Yeah. He should be taking 11 per 36 minutes. He should be yeah. flinging those things up there. He was good 8 points, and to your point on... um. On the defense with that unit and how Landale was surviving on switches, Monty brought that up when he was first asked sort of how the second unit has looked and just how they have a higher ceiling of sorts. He didn't want the too happy on the farm quote was used for him, the Montyism there. But he mentioned how defensively, like they can do a lot mm-hmm. with that group, and that's where you go to sham it. I think campaign has been good to start the year, mostly because of his defense. Yeah. I think defensively he's been that was a big part of his why he was good two years ago. Yeah, like, his defense did fall off a bit last year. He was on the ball more, had more responsibility, but his defense was legit. Shamit, we know, is good there. Craig, we know, is good there. And Landell appears to be legit there as well. Yeah, they have a good... I I think I'm surprised at how like you feel good about all of their role players generally and how they've played even this far. But it's just... Like we talked about the offensive production, they just don't have that guy, but that's not necessarily anyone's playing super terribly or the unit has big, big problems. Um, I think they're going to survive. It's just a matter of finding enough offense elsewhere. But to me, Akoji is the one who it's, man, like you can tell Monty's trying to get him minutes. And uh, I think it was the Blazers game, right? Where he had just this great first series getting into passing lanes like if people run, like he's built where he's not that tall, but people run into his arms and they just drop the ball because <laughs> it's like, ow, that hurt. <laughs> like he's that dude where it's like, I don't know how he even caused that, but he caused that. And and so he might be more strong than he is fast for his size. He is a 
Did they put him on Christian Wood too if once? You, and it's just like, oh, he's just unearthing this dude. This guy's too. If you're a if you're a Suns fan and you can maybe you can see from the cheap seats, but if you're at a Suns game and you're within good distance of the court, just look at how big he is. Like physically, you're gonna notice that he's a little bit shorter than you thought. But look at his like short, his arms and just like the the tone of that man is ridiculous. He's it's not like I guess Aaron Donald or like who's uh, who am I thinking of in the NFL where it's like these pass rushers who are like I'll make a different cross sport hardly six feet tall but they weigh like 280 pounds 300 pounds you watch Miles Garrett against a 350 pound offensive tackle and he just scoops him out of the way yeah there there are UFC fighters like that too to make another cross sport analogy there was a guy who fought in a title fight um this past Saturday named Islam Makachev and he's a wrestler and the pure, the guys weigh the same. They're in the same yeah. weight division, all that kind of stuff. So it's a different kind of thing. But there are dudes who are just naturally stronger, and he is so much stronger than anyone else in that division by a mile. So he just, to make another cross sport, <laughs> there's wrestling. Um, in, in like wrestling terms, there are performers. Wrestling's fake, if you don't know. And when when they do suplexes and that kind of stuff, there are guys like Brock Lesnar who get described as he's going to decide where you want it, where you're going to go. You can you're as a person taking a move, you can kind of dictate where you're going to fall, sort of, and like you have to be able to do that to be safe. But those guys, it's all, it's them because yeah. they're so strong, they can just put you anywhere. And Akoji is just like as an athlete, it just seems from a speed and strength perspective, is just one of those guys. You're right. He had a couple of steals in that game. I think he had two. And one of them, I think Dame just ran into his arm yeah. and then just stopped moving <laughs> like, no. to what you're talking about. Okay, I don't think Chris Paul is washed, Kevin. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go out there and say, uh, get on a limb yeah, here and yeah. say that he didn't turn 37 years old and all of a sudden it's over for him. They are they are changing the way that he... Monty mentioned they are changing the way that he plays, quite obviously. Uh, he and this, the team, they, they're doing something different. We'll see how long it lasts. We'll see when the changes are and so on. But for now, he is not the number one guy on the ball anymore. That is now Devin Booker, which is a humongous change because when Chris Paul got traded here, originally you and I were like, this is a Chris Paul team now. Devin Booker exists and he's a star, but it's a Chris Paul team now. This is a Devin Booker team through three years. And that's, this is the first time since Chris Paul was, I don't know, a rookie or in his second year where it's not a Chris Paul team that he's on. Maybe the Oklahoma city, Chris Paul team, still a Chris Paul team. Monty today, I was going to include this in the notebook I have going up that he has mentioned in the past. I mentioned this on the podcast, how they have studies where the amount of dribbles per game lead to breakdown for guys. They've seen it. The numbers back it up and the dribbles per touch statistic has gone up nearly a dribble per game for book. He was around like three and a half last two years. Now he's up to four and a half through three games. And and Chris was around five to five and a half. You're teasing me. Uh, no. Oh. You're going to have to wait for that and everyone else listening at home is going to have to... You're just continue, giddy over sorry. there. You're so yeah. distracted by my so stat <laughs> and just so excited. You can't no. contain yourself. Like five, five and a half, six dribbles per game, something like that. He's down to like 4-2 this year through three games. He's not on the ball as much and you know what, Kevin? That works. It's yeah. fine because the way that I talked about this originally when they got him was, okay... If you kick it out to Chris Paul and he gets to attack a closeout or shoot a three, he's been awesome as a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter his entire career. He rarely takes them, but when he does, they go in. It's above 40%, which is pretty great. And then it's Chris Paul attacking a closeout. He's playing five on four now. Are you kidding? 
there is a level of indecisiveness. Um, I, I said it wasn't indecisive, but it's 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 indecisive a bit, but it's more that it's just being passive. Yeah. I, I asked this because I know you know, and I know everyone listening knows. Do you remember the layup that he had against Portland? Because he rarely has layups. Yeah. Booker kicks it out to him on the right wing. He just immediately flies by the closeout. And, and then it's a no one. It's Nurkic yeah. is either going to come to him and he's going to deny the layup and Aiden's going to get the ball or he's going to get a layup and Chris Paul usually doesn't shoot it. So Nurkic let him have it. And then Chris Paul's like, okay, layup. I'll take yeah. that. The, 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 the just, just immediacy of it. He needs to have more of that in this role now. And it's an adjustment. I just mentioned it's been what? 15 years now. He's in year 18. It's probably been 15 years straight where it's been his team and he hasn't had to play this role that much. If at all, if he's not going to shoot the three, Kevin, that's okay. He's just got to, and you're saying, okay, once we get to April, it's not okay. It's, it's okay. Now he's just got to immediately attack the defense because here's the crazy thing that I kind of stumbled upon in the recap last night. He is the guy on the team so far who is, not fulfilling the Monty Williams philosophy of 0.5 basketball. He's the one guy who hasn't been doing it as much as anyone else on the team. And it's Chris Paul I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So there are possessions now where he is starting the possession. Ball screen comes two dribbles. Passes it to Booker. Doesn't even see the inside of the three point line. And that is stuff that we've talked about with him in the last two years. But now when he's on the ball less, it's even more noticeable And it's just more when he's off the ball. Again, he was one of eight from three. Eight of his 11 attempts in this game were from three. Yes, he is like a half step slower, I would say, in terms of getting to his mid-range spots. But if he gets to his spot, it doesn't matter where the defender is. And we've seen that time after time after time after time. Do you agree with my assessments? Are you are you not freaking out? Are you with are you with the people? Where do you land in this whole how he looks after three games in this role? So. The opener freaked me out in that respect because I went immediately to last season, which was the fourth game of the year. They played the Sacramento Kings. They're basically trailing most of that game, down 10-ish sometimes, and he comes out at that six-ish, seven-six-minute mark left in the game, and the Suns were down 11. It was 95-84. to 84. They go on a run and kind of start getting back into it. He comes back, and they nearly pull that off. They, they're they tied, and then Harrison Barnes hits the three, and the, the game's over um, at the buzzer. This game, he leaves. Again, six, seven-minute mark left in the game. Same score, down 11. Doesn't come back. And I, I get Monty's saying, like, that wasn't planned, and there was a lot of reasons why good decision on his part we talked about the campaign confidence stuff but that's a little different in the same types of situations where it's a close game to me and i I think they're being more cautious about it because they know something and i'm not going to say they know that chris paul turned 37 and immediately decided to be washed because look i think at the beginning of the last year that's that game i was talking about with the kings he was like one for ten or something same type of deal where he's just not in a rhythm this early in the season, doesn't have his legs. You don't, I, I don't think he goes off in the off season and is like playing basketball a million hours each week because there's he no. He said this was his favorite off season yet. 
yeah. I believe, because he. it sounds like he just spent the entire time with his family like, and wasn't not, thinking about basketball at all. I'm sure he's staying in shape and all that, but there's no point in getting lots of running miles on your legs when you're that age. So I'm not going to like call it off right now. But I do think that this team has to be fully prepared for like if this role is his role and it doesn't maybe maybe in the playoffs he does start going back to the mid range and taking over games here and there. But I think they do have to prepare all season long for the games that you saw him where he'd have a huge game in the playoffs and then come off and he couldn't score twenty five two games in a row, that type of thing. Um so I think that's not washed. That's He's still going to get 11 assists playing off the ball, which is ridiculous. And you treat him like Ricky Rubio and you just say, hey, you play like Ricky Rubio from a few years ago. We don't need you to carry anything that takes the dribbles away. And then in the playoffs, you reassess. And if he's like, I've never felt this good, maybe he he just clicks back into that. But I want to see how they figure this out without him needing to do that. And again, the, even his minutes are concerning right now because he's at 33. He averaged 32 last year, books at 39. I know there's one overtime out of three games, but the minutes is concerning as well for me. So I think there's a lot of work there for them to figure out fixes and giving campaign more time. And I just, again, don't know where it's going to come from, but like campaign has been scoring at a decent clip and he's just not been playing that many minutes. If you play him 25 minutes, then this is not as much to worry about. (laughs) I couldn't have coughed two minutes ago. Oh my God. To the minutes point, like 33 in the Clippers game, it just felt like they were in control that game the entire time. So how he wound up at 33, I'm just... That's that's the game where I'm like I don't yeah. understand. Like that's a 26 minutes game right there if I've ever seen one. Two things I had off that. One, the days are going to start to feel longer for Suns fans until we get the Chris Paul takeover fourth quarter game. It's probably going to be this week. We're probably going to get one in the next three games. At least one of them. I I I think. Two, this is how it's been in Phoenix and people are just again quick to forget. During the 8-8 eight eight start, I believe it was yeah. 7 of his 16 games I had in the recap that he failed to reach a dozen, or he failed to break a dozen points yeah. as a scorer. Always takes his time as a scorer. Last year, 1-3 start, he scored 25-18, and 18, something like that, but then he had 6-4 and four in the next two games. And then you see the consistency start to build at some point 15-20 games in, and then he's Chris Paul the rest of the way. Always been a thing. We'll just see how differently it is this year and in a different role for him. To be clear, I want them like to try it. I think that'd be good for them. Um, and not let him do that all the time or tell him, hey man, like let's try to f- figure this out without you needing to do that. And of course, like they're competitors, they want to win. But I think that's a discussion that has been had and will continue to be had a little more. And I, I'm pointing back to that fourth game of last year because, one, it's early. Two, the situations are the same. But three, they treated it differently and they didn't put him back in. And as little, maybe that's two minutes. You shave two minutes off of an important game. But I think those moments are super important. To briefly mention it, as we always do when Devin Booker is amazing and just kind of say, hey, look at that yeah, guy. That, that guy is pretty great at the basketball. We always breeze Clippers over it. game. 32 points per game, five assists, three rebounds, two turnovers, shooting 
34 for 64 from the field for 53.1% from the field. 28, 33, and 35 is three point totals. The big takeaway, I'm going to have words on the side about this. We'll see. The drives per game are way up, but if you go back two years ago, it was so it's a 17 drives per game this year, according to the tracking data, which I believe is possessions that account for like once you are dribbling downhill past the three point line, I believe is what accounts for. I'm not sure if like you get the ball 20 feet out and you drive in yeah. whatever. He's taking 17 drives per game after only nine last year. But the thing is, two years ago, three, four five years ago, he's around 13 to 14 a game. It was just a big change last year. Because it was you're curling around this screen, catching it with 18 feet, taking a dribble or two, and then doing a thing. He's just commanding more possessions now and doing more work on the ball. The uh, shots at the rim were only 50, at 15% last year, which was a career low. Uh, his free throws were the lowest since his rookie year. He wasn't around the basket as much. I think that had part to do with, again, the, the spots that he was being put in, just getting him to his mid-range where he's the best. But Monty phrased it today. Like now we're starting to see like the early part of his prime, basically. That's what we're looking at now and where we're going to start to see him round it, round it out really all the way. And I think that's kind of what's happening now is he's going back to getting to the basket more. And I, I love the way that he's been attacking closeouts. He has been the most .5-5 guy on those. It, Mikel has those where you just blink and he's gone. And mm-hmm. Booker looks like that this year. Uh, I just I think he's playing really really well and the way I wrote it last night is that it took until I wrote the column in mid-February right before the all-star break that he should be in the MVP conversation it took another month and then he was starting to get in there if he keeps playing like this for the next week or two when they're talking about Giannis and whoever else Luca John Morant in the next couple of weeks if he just keeps doing this and is going to be a guy who averages 28 29 30 a game you and I talked about that in the offseason. If Chris Paul takes a reduced role, Book might average 30 a game. And this is what it might look like, man. Like He's going to yeah. have off nights, obviously, and be down in the teens, but this is what it might look like all year. I mean, yeah, I'm just worried about the workload on him, honestly, and it's you should be, yeah. just about, in general, how star players are handled these days. And obviously, Monty's not the guy who kind of rests people or whatever, but now I'm concerned about him in that regard, um, but to your point about the MVP stuff, game one, national TV basically did a Chris Paul, LeBron takeover type ending in that fourth when Paul was on the bench, the final six minutes, um, goes out, makes a statement, I guess on NBA TV, kind of national against Paul George, Kawhi Leonard kind of, but I don't think that's, that team's going to look better. Kawhi does not look there. Um, same thing. Guy hasn't played in forever. So we'll we'll see on that team, but I'm guessing that when they flew back from Sacramento they did not go directly to their home. No. <laughs> Are you saying Scottsdale? No, wherever in LA. I know. Yeah. Hey, they'll look better. It it was one of those things where I looked at the box score and everything. I was like, Oh, this looks like a team with no depth and it's <laughs> the deepest team in the league. They got they got a lot to figure out. Yeah. Speaking of the opposition. We will not focus as much on the Rockets. We're going to spend a few minutes on the Warriors who play uh, the Suns on Tuesday. And then on Friday, they play the Pelicans. It's a six-game homestand. I believe it's either tied for the longest of the year or the second longest homestand of the year. A little under two weeks at home. 
My stat. Are you ready for my stat? Ooh, oh, boy, my here. stat. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. worth the build-up now. It was kind of oh. a joke the whole time. I looked up the net rating and all that kind of stuff for the starting five for the Suns with Cam Johnson. Hey, guess what? It's really good. Hmm. Uh, their net rating is 36. Their offensive rating is 123, I want to say. Something like that. It's pretty great. I looked across the league at the top lineups, <laughs> like 25 minutes or more, and looked at net rating. The only two teams higher than them, starting fives. Pels and Warriors? New Orleans and Golden State. Ooh. That's the fun, though. Warriors in 41 minutes with Steph, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, and Looney. 141.9 offensive rating, 96.7 defensive rating. Pretty good. Yeah. The New Orleans Pelicans with Jonas, McCollum, Ingram, Zion, and Herb Jones. 138 offensive rating, 89 defensive rating, 49 net rating. Pretty good. Pretty darn good. The Warriors had a Suns-ish offseason, Kevin. Suns-ish. A little bit. Suns-ish. They added guys, uh, which the Suns probably should have done. <laughs> Use their taxpayer mid-level exception. Probably, I'm Suns sorry, probably Dante done that. DiVincenzo's out. No Dante. Dante High will have to wait for his Warriors debut in Phoenix. We'll get it here soon enough. <laughs> Not these two teams nearly at full strength. They added Jamichael Green, which was a very under-the-radar move, and he is already, I think, 6th or 7th for them in minutes played. He's playing a big role for them already. Seems like they might wait another year on Kaminga. It's very early in the season, but it seems like early in the years when you want to give a guy like that minutes, and they're they're going to Jamichael and getting him reps in the system instead, which is understandable. And they've got this James Wiseman fella, Kevin, who I am... If there's anything from this game that I'm looking for more than anything, one, it's the fact that these two teams are finally, besides Dante, healthy. We did not get that at all last year. What I'm writing about on the side is that, and I talked about for months last year, it just felt like collision course to steal the Stugats joke. It was Suns-Warriors collision course. These are the two best teams in the league. They're going to play each other West Conference Finals. It's going to be an incredible series. Everyone was talking about how excited they were for that series. Warriors got there. Suns didn't. And then we never just got to see these two teams because Clay was out for the first three games. Fourth game, I believe it was Steph who was out for that game. Uh, that was in like March because they played yeah. three times before the Christmas turn of the year. Even, yeah, That Christmas game. Yeah, so... We get to see these two teams fully. I'm looking forward to that. But the two, I'm looking at the Wiseman deal because he is every bit of a number two overall pick in terms of how big he is. And that's what Monty talked about today when I asked about Wiseman. He's humongous. Have like you, he, he extends his arms and he covers like the entire paint is what Monty you, said, basically. What are the Lord of the Rings? The tree dudes are the Ents? Ents? I waited on Ring of, Rings of Power until Thrones is done. <laughs> Thrones is done now, so I'll probably start it this week. But like in the original Lord of the Rings, there are the tree dudes, and sure. then one of them wrote a tree dude, and the tree dudes are giant, and they have <laughs> branches, but also they like walked really slowly looking, but they're moving super fast because they're giant. That's kind of what he does. Like, if you think DeAndre is like a physical presence, it's like that, but like every time he jumps, he's actually going to block the shot. He has his vertical leap is impressive. Like his his explosiveness, quick twitch stuff. DeAndre is not quite a quick twitch first jump, second jump guy. Wiseman yeah. is. Yeah, and James moves- Wiseman's better than DeAndre Aiden is what you're saying. Yeah, let's start that. But no, he's he's super intriguing on a team that really hasn't had those rim rolling guys and hasn't really had shot blockers in the traditional sense and. 
Um, I thought Kamingo would be ahead of him, and like you were just kind of insinuating, he. I've only watched. I guess I caught a game and a half, but so, so Wiseman seems way ahead of Kamingo as far as what helping now, and it's obviously like little stuff, but they only need little stuff from him. So Looney's playing 22 minutes a game, Wiseman 18, Jamichael Green 20. That's like the big rotation, essentially. Uh, everyone's under 30 except Wiggins at 33, Steph at 33. Moody is at 13 a game, DiVincenzo 14. He's out. So will we see a Ty Jerome revenge game, Kevin? Tune oh. in to find <laughs> out. Jonathan Kaminga's at 9, Ooh. which is imp- which is crazy because he was the one of these uh, Wiseman couldn't play, but of Moody and Kamingo, Moody was or Kaminga, sorry, was the guy who was separating himself last year and looked like a guy who was going to play for them in the postseason. He's sped up right now. I you and say. I only watched opening night and it was against the Lakers, so it, uh, well, yeah, temper expectations sure. on what we saw for sure. But Wiseman made just a, he had three plays where it was contest the rim here contest the rim there stay in front of lebron lob there and you're like defend lebron oh, man. and then on the dump off block the shot of guy lebron dumped it off to so it's it's just if they can channel it for him and moody both into guys who play a good 15 minutes a game yeah because as we saw looney was one of their three best players in the postseason last year it was steph wiggins Poole. looney and then Poole probably. Yeah. I would honestly put uh, Wiggins and Looney ahead of them. I I think people forget. I'm not insinuating you, but even Wiggins <laughs> when he got that contract, Looney, yeah. when Wiggins got that contract, some people were like, "What?" He's like, he almost won Finals MVP. Yeah. He was incredible. Yeah, and Looney was incredible as well. So they've got that starting five, which again I need to emphasize how good Wiggins and Looney were because they're next to the big three. Poole is going to win six man of the year already. Like it's yeah. just they, his, it, his name's already on the trophy as it is. But then can they find the rest of the guys? And this is where you go back to their team last year. They Otto Porter Jr. was a huge part of their team last year. He's gone. Bielitsa? Bielitsa is gone as well. And I'm forgetting right now for some reason who the uh, other backup big was. This is too much for me little brain. <laughs> to handle uh they lost gary pay in a second that's the oh, other yeah. name that we're thinking Whoops. of that they lost and that's where moody will have to come in so moody and wiseman are both kind of and Kaminga by trade are, are automatic kind of replacements of course with looney they were kind of only using one center they brought in bielitsa at times they brought in wantos kano anderson to kind of play small ball five iguodala obviously factors into that conversation even well. basically takes over the peyton two minutes and can run a little more offense yeah shooter yeah, better there too. We won't see him exactly, but yeah, those are my main two things to watch for with this game. See who guards who because we finally have the full matchups. Booker will probably be on Clay slash, but then when they play Steph and Pool together, it's like okay, who's oh, guarding Pool? Campaign so, minutes, uh, Josh Okoji minutes, maybe Landry Shamit will certainly factor into the equation as well. Boy. uh, there's just money falling out of my ears right now, Kevin, with all of our Pelican stock. <laughs> it's It seems pretty cool uh, what they got going on over there. If you have not tuned in yet, I believe they are 2-1. Uh, they they, they lost are. one game, but they, they look... Beat Hawks, beat Nets. Uh, oh, wait. No. What am I looking at? They lost to the Jazz. Sorry. that I'm looking at... A Kelly Olenek at the buzzer. Who could forget? Yeah. The... 
Wemben, who jazz the we're going to overreact like when the Pittsburgh Pirates go 19 and 12. We're like, is this the year <laughs> or the Reds or whoever in baseball when there's great a really for Lori Markin in stock. But yay. Um, you know yeah. what's great on a team, Kevin, is balance. 23 points per game for McCollum, 22 for Zion, 22 for Ingram, 17 for Jonas. Hey, 13 for Trey Murphy off the bench, by the way. Yeah. Herb Jones. Oh, he's he played 40 minutes. That's overtime, too, but... Yeah, Trey... And I guess Ingram got hurt, but... Yeah. Could be in concussion protocol. We don't really know at this moment, but Trey Murphy, 16 points, plus 14. Nine boards against the Jazz the other night. Same uh, same sort of discussion here in terms of how do the matchups look with Zion Williamson. He is questionable for their game, I believe, tonight. Uh, there was some weird, he said, she said stuff with like concussion protocol. Brandon Ingram is in the NBA's concussion protocol, but then Willie Green said that he... Just don't two with a guy. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't really know. see what happens. Uh, but today is Monday. By Friday, I would assume Zion is going to be good if he's already questionable on a on a on a uh, for that's for Tuesday's game. I'm sorry, but I would assume by Friday, uh, Zion is going to be good. Not sure about Ingram, of course, with the concussion. We never really know concussion symptoms. We should say. Um, but yeah, they look they look super legit. We talked about them a lot last year. Um, I'm going to shout out Murphy. I'm going to shout out Jones. I'm going to shout out Alvarado Marshall. Will we see Dyson Daniels? Doesn't seem like we will, but they've got a handful of young guys, and two or three of them are probably going to be much better than they were last year. You got anything else? Jay Crowder still a member of the Suns. Apparently, the Sham says the Bucks are kind of interested, but the Bucks don't really have anything. You're not going to believe the Suns fans don't want Grayson Allen on there. Do you want Jordan Nora? I would, but I would take that. I'd just be like, yeah, that's fine. Let's be done with it. No, but it, it, he's not trade eligible even. Boss man nine nine. Two ends on there, Kevin. On Instagram, cold arenas for now. Back soon, mm-hmm. and it's a photo of him shooting around in an empty uh, arena. All right. James Jones also didn't say he's definitely going to trade him on Burns and Gambo before the opener on Wednesday. Just saying, but he said for now. That would seem to be their goal. I would be surprised, but he did leave the door open a little bit. Thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure to check ArizonaSports.com. We're going to have a lot of stuff if you are unable to procure, or uh, that's definitely the wrong word, if you are (laughs) unable to read into everything and kind of see what goes on. I don't travel with the team during the regular season for our new listeners on the road. So it is much easier for me to report things, diagnose things, write things when they are at home. So for the next two weeks, we're going to have a whole lot of stuff on the site from me specifically. Hey, maybe that old Kevin Zerman will get in the mix too. Like he did after the home opener. We'll see. I don't know what that guy's got going on. I don't know either. Over there, recaps, all that kind of stuff as usual. But yeah, should be a really fun two weeks. We mentioned how much we were looking forward to the start of the season, and I'm super duper looking forward to uh, tomorrow night and Friday, those two matchups. And even the Rockets, yeah, let's see the Sengun, Shengun weird passes. Let's yes. see Jalen Green. What's up with the Jabari Smith passive KD dude? You Josh Christopher fans? No. <laughs> Running point guard? No. Jabari Smith. Yes. Okay. Back on track. Jay Shante. Love Jay Shante. See you next week, everyone. Bye.